welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Paul Jocelyn, who is a seasoned L&D leader, having been Head of Capability at Tesco during a 28-year spell at the company. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Paul, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks, David. Really appreciate the invite and thank you for all the work you're doing through this podcast. It's really, really helpful. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Um, first question on this one um, and to provide some context. Now, you were at Tesco, one of the UK's largest retailers for 28 years, culminating in a four-year spell as head of capability for group marketing. So, how has your experiences with Tesco shaped your perspectives on business and L&D? Yeah, 28 years. Um, I mean, that really is a lifetime, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> and the old cliche about uh, you could get longer for murder is, is probably <laughs> true. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it was such a privilege um, to spend time in that organisation. It, it really was obviously a, a kind of man and boy thing for me I started as a part-timer the classic route up through uh, a retail training scheme uh, all the way through to the opportunity to run four different stores as a store manager Um, Mm. and that was a kind of 13-year journey to that point so I guess the opportunity to be in a business that at that point was number two in the UK and eventually overtook Sainsbury. And I think that kind of being in second place and wanting to overtake was was very much part of the psyche early on. Um, spending just over half of that career in stores and then spending 11 or 12 years in various head office roles was of course, a, a huge impact for me in terms of a perspective on business, a business model, what it means to be a people manager, the difference between leadership and management. And throughout that time, it was an organisation that clearly pushed the boundaries, the things that we take for granted today you know being an international business being a business that sells non-food being a business that's online none of that was true um, in the early 90s so these things again easy to say you know genuinely groundbreaking but it was a fantastic time and and again a real privilege and Mm. worked with some fantastic people yeah so you're right it's it's, um you look at a uh, somebody's career history and it, it's not until you scratch the surface and you and you take not just they say a 28 years but if you you put the timestamp over that which is when that actually happened you realize just how much transformation there will have been now I was only at Disney for eight years but that was 2006 to 2014 and during that time there was uh, we went from uh, home entertainment being the most profitable part of the business which was DVDs and then sooner Blu-ray to it being when I left the least profitable part because streaming and competitors Mm. are not the bottom out of that and that is just one example but where 
um, the whole business transformed during that time. And that transformation is banded about and can be seen as a buzzword and perhaps overinflated in a lot of cases. But over those 28 years, you must have seen and been, been party to some, uh, some quite incredible transformation. Am I right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, what's easier over time? I mean, I left Tesco and set up my own business in the summer of 2017. So that will be four years mm. this summer. And I guess as you reflect in the rearview mirror, as it were, the connections you're able to make. So again, the things you took for granted in an organisation like that, with that le level of energy and expectation. Um, but certainly early on, you know, it was a very entrepreneurial business. Again, you know, there's a word that's everywhere now. But mm. if I think about my early years with an absolute determination and a desire to be a store manager and have a business of my own, in those early days, you know, they really were the master of all they surveyed mm. in terms of, you know, how they set their store up, recruitment, ranging merchandising pricing to a certain degree you know mm. there was such a level of autonomy and I guess I looked at that role and thought you know that that that's what I'd want to do you know yeah. <laughs> I, I'd want to be able to have such responsibility and accountability and really grow something within the four walls as it were but mm. you know by the time I made it David um, it had become something that was much more about standardization, mm. compliance, and a very much a centralized model, which I guess was inevitable, you know, from a business that had scaled the way it had through the 90s, you know, the, the rapid expansion in the UK, the determination to take that model overseas. But as I say, if I look back now, that was something that we almost weren't conscious of that centralization and the need to be more consistent, more professional, mm. more, um, more standard in the face of that complexity as you grow the estate, of course. So when I think about ultimately the job of the store manager that I experienced versus, you know, my heroes growing up through the business, mm. as it were, completely different job in terms of the level of, yeah, consistency, compliance management, process management, um, you know, often box checking, to be blunt. Mm. And on the one hand, that was absolutely necessary because this thing's, you know, a small country, you know, 350,000 yeah. plus colleagues in the UK alone, over half a million around the world, in what's a very low margin business. You know, at that point, it was a kind of two, two and a half percent operating margin. So... Mm. You know, the volume that you're dealing with and the level of consistency and competence required, you know, that was the differentiator. That business was better at doing those things consistently at scale, mm. seven days a week, 363 days of the year, than the competition, quite simply. And it built the tools, the processes, the infrastructures in a way that was you know, mind-blowingly efficient and therefore effective to deliver mm. on those goals and therefore it spun off cash and, and could invest in building new businesses in terms of international online clothing, non-food, et cetera, et cetera, different store formats. Mm. So experience in that, you know, was 
I use that word of privilege, absolutely the case. Yeah. Um, but it was it was really tough and definitely gave me a perspective on both leadership and management, as I mentioned. And then moving into this into the office side, mm. you know, the fish out of water. I, I kind of went in for 12 months as a reward for good behavior, I was led to believe, <laughs> and, I, and I never went back. Um, yeah. And at that point, it was just on the cusp of that really rapid international expansion. I did a project um, based in the marketing function for a year, which was, you know, we're going to take away all those shelf edge, what's called point of sale. So the, the cardboard shelf talkers, as they were called, that described mm. the product promotions. We want to take that information, put it into the shelf edge label. So there's a whole piece around clarity for the customer, a big productivity saving, of course, for the stores. But that was in marketing. That was my way in. And I guess the continuity was, well, this is another big piece of change. And all we've done in shops for 10 years is change. Yeah. This is managing and enabling change, engaging people, thinking about process, thinking about value for customers, thinking about how do we get people to understand their contribution and their role in this mm. as part of the greater good, which was you know, such a, a strength of the business to, to connect that vision and strategy piece at the higher level and make it really simple and relevant for the folks at, at the sharp end with, you know, facing those customers. So I did that for a year. Um, and then there was a question around, okay, this has worked. We want to roll this into the, into the fledgling uh, European business, Central European business. Do you want to be part of that? So, you know, I thought about that question for about 12 seconds. <laughs> Says that sounds like a great opportunity. Um, and again, it was at the point of, you know, what do we mean by marketing? We've done some of the hard yards or even some of the sexy stuff around acquiring businesses, um, buying out some businesses, merging with some businesses. Mm. And, you know, what does it mean to be Tesco? in some of these markets some are very established you know really solid operations some a little bit more you call the wild west mm. so this question of you know where do we want to be more standardized what do we mean by marketing what are you know that familiar word now but it wasn't back then this idea of capabilities do we need to build and how mm. does this join together to enable these businesses to start to adopt a much more consistent approach a common language clearly more structure and process mm. but also what's the sweet spot between here's the center's way but recognizing their experience and of course their expertise on the ground with their own customers in a market you know hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the uk um and if you'd have asked me you know f five years before that would i have been in a position to to lead some of that work and to bring together a group of subject matter experts and to, to start to work to structure that and bring it together in a way that could be taken around the world. Again, you know, this idea of learning organization, you know, Tesco was, was and still is, I'm sure, much more of a learning organization than it gives itself credit for because, mm. you know, there's an opportunity from my personal experience and not only did that marketing thing need to hang together in terms of, you know, what are we going to measure? What are these different components and capabilities? How do we think about that? Not just in terms of the process mm. and the system, but from the people aspect, because, you know, I had some experienced guys in those marketing teams, some senior leaders, and 
you know, here comes best practice from the UK. Now they're working in an international business. Now they're a partner across a number of other businesses in their location, but also back to that connection with the UK mothership, as it were. All of those dynamics in terms of, you know, leadership change, what we mean by learning, that's where it really started to fall into place for me. You know, we started off as very much that top-down deployment model. Mm. You know, this is the way it needs to be. Here are some things that will be consistent. Here is literally the Tesco way. And there's a whole set of documentation and process at these various levels of detail. But in the beginning, that was the hard bit, of course. Mm. Of course it was because some of that just didn't exist. And the differentiator was, again, we're going to be the business that gets there first. We're going to document this in a way that hangs together. We're going to ensure that these processes work in the vertical, in the horizontal, and then the marketing stuff fits with the commercial process Mm. and the store operation process. And it links through to the finance process. So all of that plumbing, as it were, was, you know, startup stuff, greenfield. But in the end, what was originally the hard bit, you know, that that was overtaken by the even harder bit, which was how do we create the conditions where these people can say, well, I don't agree with that Mm. or actually our way. Have you thought about this? How do we build the relationships and the environment whereby this is not just a push model? but we've got the social structures we need. I mean, that's a reoccurring theme that I'm sure, you know, we'll come through, come back to in this conversation. Mm. You know, we're not the owner of this. We're not, the, as I say, the push. We're not the gatekeeper and the guardian. Mm. You know, we needed that in the first year or two, of course. But beyond that, some of the other challenges began to expose themselves. And that's where our work as a capability function really needed to refocus and where we really needed to lead mm. beyond that process piece. And taking you back to uh, to your, your store days um, at Tesco, Paul, um, would you say you relied on the, the learning function or the training function uh, at Tesco for your development? I mean, I'd say, of course, early on, again, mm. you know, it's a it's a very process-led organisation, a process-led role in store. So again, I'd, mm. I'd work my way up, you know, that classic. It's still the case to a degree, I guess, but, you know, you work in every department, you understand the processes, you do every job. Yeah. Um, you know, s- some of that is just not the case today, whether it's in retail or in other areas, probably more so in retail, I guess. Um, so that idea of Here's the training, here's the process, here's the sign-off, here's the the resources you use, here's somebody who's going to validate you. Mm. There was always a very clear sense of that's the role of HR or personnel, you know, in the very early days. And again, there's quite a hierarchy around who says you're competent and who who can and can't sign you off in that sense. So that that was always, you know, very clear. Mm. Um, But I guess... You know, over time, the learning was in the role, in the scenarios, in the challenges that were being set. And I guess that for me was over time, the realisation, the wake up call that, Mm. you know, competence was the expectation early on. 
you know, do you understand this? Do you do it? Do you rinse and repeat accordingly? Do you understand the role? You're the cog in the system. Go get this done. Mm. <laughs> you, you know, and over time, the productivity challenge and the expectation of that from our stores and store colleagues and ultimately store managers, as I mentioned, you know, to hit these targets and to be demonstrating, um, you know, due compliance to due process was increasingly the role you know that was the yeah. expectation and those things were set by the center but some of the challenges that perhaps they they didn't help with was the bits that we hadn't written down of course mm. so you know if i think about my challenge as a store manager you know i'd kind of grown up around the hearts and essex home counties area i've been you know really fortunate privileged to to run three shops there um or two shops and then I got an assignment um, to go into the metro business so the kind of city centre smaller mm. fascia you know this was in in the city of London um, which was really my first fully fledged role I guess as a store manager you know I had never worked in that metro format I'd always been in the big stores the super stores you know kind of million pound a week plus stores four or mm. five hundred staff you know huge operations big infrastructure and you know you go into metro and it's you and four or five direct reports you've got the keys to the shop literally mm. you know central london completely different diversity profile you've got the challenges there of the trade pattern you know 88 percent, i think from memory of the trade was in the week monday to friday because it's all about the offices in the city mm. completely different demographic all of those things there was no handbook for that you know there was no kind of hr led transition guided process from the superstores in this part of the country to the metro format you know whether mm. that was by accident or by design it was kind of parachuted in literally and you know you you learned from the people that understood you learned from people doing that work you learn from the leadership team who found ways to adapt the process ways to work with the process work ways to work over the process to be mm. honest so again when i think about that store situation the, the move around formats moving up the hierarchy to store manager and then into the office mm. you know it was very much the experience the environment the the challenges and the people around me you know the yeah. support around me rather than i guess looking back the handbook or um you know the process flow having all the answers and it seems that you know your your experience there isn't a million miles from uh, from everywhere i'd uh, previously worked which is um the learning and development function has its programs and it has its content and it's largely uh, around the categorization of topics um, it's as, uh, as Goffreson and Moshe talk about, um, it's predominantly learn new uh, around particular topics, but there's very little on what it actually means uh, around uh, tasks and accountability. So what it is that people will actually be expected to do within the roles, the challenges that they may face uh, in the in unfamiliar situations that they may, may find, uh, and what it means to be successful within a particular role. It's almost as if uh, learning and development can provide the uh, some, uh, some academic content or experiences, but as for real life, uh, 
we don't really we don't really get get involved in that stuff now you and i find ourselves agreeing on social media that uh, that corporate l d feels stuck in some way now i'm giving you a little bit of my take uh, on, uh, <laughs> uh, on on what i think some of the uh, the causes are, are there but what's your take on on why this is yeah i think that's a really interesting reflection you've just made there um I mean, the mantra was and continues to be, you know, from my perspective. So I think about growing up through Tesco, you know, owning a PL of 50 million plus and a team of 300 odd people, you know, my context of what do I need from the centre? How do I need people to enable me to do my best by these people were almost two, two very different things. Mm. And I think if we're conscious of that, and we call that out and, you know, say it as it is, that's okay. But I think, yeah, again, to your point, we've got an ongoing focus, even an obsession with individual performance, the answer to which is education. Mm. So I think if we go back a whole bunch of years and think about that in the context of the business, of a business, and I've kind of touched on some of this already in terms of my Tesco reflection, you know, what was L&D for? Well, you know, the strategy was set here. Organisational design would organise the work, the roles into the structure charts and the handoffs and the silos, etc. You know, HR would put understandably the right process and a policy and, and a degree of safety around that. Mm. And then L&D kind of train it in because yeah. we've done, all, we, you know, we've done all the thinking up here. And ultimately the expectation is, was, is, you just got to get people to do what we need them to do. Mm. And at a point where the value in the business was replication control through compliance, standardization, replication, you could see that fits or fitted. Yeah. So the value created by giving everybody a role, understanding their accountability, swimming in your lane, being clear on what you need to know and where you find it. And then we'll have a conversation every year about how well you're doing against that expectation. You know, for me, when you lay it out in that way and you talk about it in those terms, it just feels so disconnected yeah. and a bit disingenuous to where we are today in terms of what, what do we mean by creating value in a business? What do we mean by a differentiated organisation? So there's kind of two things at play. Mm. there's well, no longer at that poll it just it just strikes strikes me that um that the function of the learning and development department seems to be what can this small team support rather than what is the actual um uh, role that's required from the organization as, you, as you've just said there if you've got a small team and there's they've got and um uh, they can't possibly meet the needs of absolutely everybody then all they can really do is administer um uh, a, a small suite of programs and then a, uh, a potential platform. And then as far as performance is concerned, you look and think, well, what is it that we can do rather than what is the job actually to be done? Yeah. So, you know, ultimately what I've described there is a kind of bureaucratic yeah. model. It's a control-based model. The expectation is, People are going to do what we need them to do. We're going to provide them with what we need. We're going to educate them. School at work, in effect. And that's how they're going to create value because we're in control. We've decided the, the level of contribution they can make. They're probably at a, 
within a framework, within a matrix, this is the expectation. Mm. And I think you've got this perfect storm now of we're seeing it's accelerated again through the financial crisis of 10 years ago, but many have hung on. We're seeing it now, of course, through the pandemic and, you know, who knows what with, with Brexit looking forward. But mm. this idea of, you know, just, just simply managing through removing cost and driving efficiency mm. is not a differentiator. You know, those businesses are falling away. That, so that pressure's pushing down. What's then pushing up in that perfect storm is the increasing expectation, I think, that if you're going to choose to be employed, you've now got a very different expectation of that business, your boss as a leader, the way that you want to bring yourself to it, the way that you want to master your craft, build a network and contribute. And those those two genies are out of the bottle. And the work of L&D needs to reflect and I'd argue accelerate those shifts, not try mm. and hold back the tide. So again, I'd argue because we're stuck and I'd agree at your point, we're stuck and I'd agree. Um, the work of L&D needs to disrupt the organisation positively. Yeah. So if we can agree that you know, we're here to change the business for the better. You know, I think that's almost a kind of, that's a decision we need to make collectively within the organisation. You know, how much of our work is about change? How much of our work is about maintaining the status quo? Let's just be honest with each other and ourselves. And if we're comfortable in the latter, we should call that to each other and again to the business. But if we agree in that, we can help the organisation to change because value creation and what we need from people is now different. I think we can then agree that just churning out and supporting compliance and more compliant workers isn't our sole focus. And if we can agree on that, well, then we must be able to agree that education, school at work is not the go-to yeah. tactic. But I, guess, you know, I think, but, you know, these are these are quite fundamental, you know, reoccurring, you know, worldview, systematic challenges that, you know, in some ways, the L&D function is a victim of this thing above this bureaucratic systematic shift, hmm. you know, factory owner type leaders and all of that stuff. But I think there's a big opportunity to take responsibility to show a new way and stop waiting for a seat somewhere yeah and uh, i what what that's had me reflect on there paul is that you know is rec recognizing our place now i it seems to be to me that uh, that that where there's a vacuum in lnd's ability to actually help an organization with what it wants to do sometimes we've just looked at that and thought oh it seems a bit hard um, so what I'll do is I'll I'll create my own agenda. So the organization's over here and their agenda is um, uh, helping middle managers uh, to fully understand this role uh, and elevating from the doer that they were and, uh, and local accountability to, uh, to adding value. Uh, across different functions and different areas over here, and you know, so so there is there's a there's a real need, and it's all really based on what the organisation is uh, in the market to actually try to achieve. 
and learning and development look and think, yeah, I know how I might be able to help this as well. I'll help them have courageous conversations. And you only look and go, you've only decided that because, you, because you're not willing to really find out what the need is. So what you've done is you've, take, you've taken a look and thought, you know, there's some best practice and a, you know, and a conversation that I'm hearing and I'm seeing in learning and development. So I think this might help. And you know, we, I think we see this over and over again where learning and development will say, I know what our priority is. It's to create a learning culture. You're thinking, so, so that's not a language in the organization as in right now it tries to survive through COVID mm. and then looks to, to establish itself as a, as a new identity. But again, learning and development, rather than truly trying to understand um, what it is the organization is trying to do, the the actual level of uh, of capability within the organization in order to deliver on that, and then you know one of the one of my big bugbears at the moment around uh, around skills, you know instead of really looking and understanding what is it that that our people are able to do and aren't able to do in the context of what our organization is, you know we we what we take a look at is to say how do we buy a platform that categorizes content and then surfaces the content based on what people say they're interested in and what the and, and what they establish as their their the deficit in their their skill base again it all comes down to if we if we don't really understand what it is that we're trying to do anything will do as a result and then what we do is we we get caught up in our own worlds our uh, around Delivery, preferred delivery mechanisms, new and novel delivery mechanisms, uh, silver bullet solutions, and the, and the absolute bugbear of mine, which is, you know, let's create a learning culture, which is, <laughs> which is simply, instead of adding a cherry on the cake or even icing on the cake, it's deciding to bake a different cake and convincing everybody that that's the cake they need, not the one that they are working in um, right now. Rant over. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> do you feel better now, David? I do feel a little bit better now, Paul, but I'm wondering whether oh, you can glue all that together now because I've, I've, yeah, I've just, yeah. just ranted for the sake of it. No, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll try and... No, I can make sense of that. I mean, I think, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, as I said, I, I think, you know, within many LD functions, they're, they're really doing as they're asked. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the interesting places to look for sort of clues on this I put it out on a I did a blog on this um probably middle of last year um is if you look at corporate L head certainly head of lnd job descriptions there's always a, an interesting clue in there so the um the what we need box always says things like you know develop a learning culture build a strategy for learning mm put learning at the center of our business, all this sort of good stuff. But then you look at the box that says what we need you to do. It talks about develop programs, manage programs. Administer the elements. Ensure our compliance training is up to date. Administer yeah. our set of courses. So I think there's a, again, to, to give L&D you know, just a little bit of leeway on this. I think there's a very probably because you know people only know what they've experienced at the mm. top of the organization you know there's a a very narrow control based problem solution mindset going on above and around them in that you know we know what we know we like what we understand we're in control of this and all, again back to that 
that question of, well, all we really need to do is to get people doing what we've agreed. Mm. It's as easy as that. And actually, that's no longer the challenge. So what used to be scarce and valuable, compliant workers doing as they're told, that's not the problem anymore. You know, competency isn't a differentiator. It won't help you. Mm. What we need to create is adaptability and the mindset and, again, the social structures that can enable people to make good decisions. So, again, I'd argue L&D need to demonstrate that that's not a risk and a threat because Mm. in this team, this is how it works already or in the way that we're working together, look at what it enables in the way that these people are now connected, look at the results. And so how could I take this to the next team and the next team? But I think simply, you know, the pushback, simply saying where in our organisation do we need standardisation and consistency? Where have we codified the answer and we've proved it? Even if that's a historic thing, Mm. great. So how do we do that in the most optimised way? And that might be through technology. So how do we optimise that core stuff? Because increasingly the challenge is it's the new bit. It's the stuff we haven't worked out. It's the stuff where there isn't a simple answer. It's the stuff that's not on the exam paper. It's the stuff you're not going to educate, you know, binary, yes, no, your way to. Well, how do we enable that? How do we encourage that? What's our role here? But again, I think part of the challenge is you've got a very narrow mindset above often. But, Mm. you know, many people have come into L&D, perhaps through an instructional design route, you know, and they're, they're often... What I see is they're doing what they like, they're doing what they know and they're doing what they enjoy. Yeah. You know, they're they're providing a solution within their context, within their frame of reference, that is what they believe to be the only way. And, mm. and I think also we've got this challenge, and this is a really interesting, you know, systemic problem as well. And I, I probably through kind of my own business consulting and advising, it's probably 30 odd organizations now in that you know three and a half years um you know there's a really interesting fundamental challenge simply between or or defining the difference between i should say but what's the goal what's the strategy and then what's the tactics Mm. and those three things are different so what's to your point what's the kind of diagnosis and the insight what are the principles we're going to employ and then what's the action we're going to take? Because invariably, what we always seem to do in LD is go tactics first. Yeah. Our default is there's this almost dangerous mixture, this dangerous cocktail of we'll lead with tactics. We really want to please. And it's all about solutions. Yeah. So a good example there, Paul, things. is like when, when you hear people saying, what's our digital learning strategy? You yeah. go, no, no, you know, that's a solution. So what you're doing is you're, yeah. you're, you're looking to create a strategy around yeah. one of your tools. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's all in reverse. So yeah. if the goal is we need to create teams of people who can now think more like this mm. because here's the challenge in our sector. And these are the things that are going to differentiate us from these three competitors. The strategy to get there means this. And okay, so what are the aligned set of tactics that are connected and appropriate in that context? Mm. 
And again, because it's not this binary, we've had a request in, we're waiting for permission, this is what's dropped out of the annual review plan and our capability matrix and all the requests from the regional directors. You know, that kind of responsive problem, solution looking for a problem thing is, you know, that's a big, that's a big step, Yeah, I think, still. Um, I was looking at some research from Brandon Hall um, earlier in the week, and it said, you know, 46, only 46% of organisations have a strategy around learning that's connected to the business and mm. business goals. Um, in small businesses, 28% say it's well-defined. 44% of large businesses say it's well-defined. In small businesses, only 17% say they're clear on how they measure success. goes yeah. up to 33% in large business. So, I mean, I don't know, it's probably the same for you, you know, how many years of these, you know, this data reports, you know, all the great stuff that Towards Maturity and Emerald Works have done. I mean, our, we were working with those guys as Towards Maturity, you know, 10 years ago in Tesco. You know, this, this challenge around our role, our impact, you know, it is way beyond tactics. Yeah, it that's it. You can't just beyond, you know, can't just start with a solution. You know, it's you know, they, you, you see how this works. I've worked in enough learning and development functions where um, the the core is the um, the administration and delivery of programs and content. That that is the core of L and D, and then it's uh, re then it's almost retrospectively done. How do you map? the solutions back to the strategy. So you're looking for problems to solve with the solutions that you've already determined on what you're going to offer. It's all backward. And it is, yeah, it's still a common experience for, for a lot of learning yeah. and development because yeah. either they haven't got the currency or they haven't developed the currency to question what is um, recognized as um, the, the kind of the standard fare, which is, you know, because there's a lot wrapped up in um, uh, in learning and development positioned as education, you know, whether it be reward, uh, whether it be um, uh, perceived value and all of this stuff, despite really being able to, uh, to measure um, uh, meaningful return on investment. It all comes down to everybody has a perception of what this looks and smells like, and therefore this is what we offer and then how do we map that back which is which is bonkers um greatly but leads me on to my next question i'm conscious of time paul because uh, you work with and i think this is a really important one i'd love to, to to tackle this one with you you mentioned about your clients and of course you work with heads of l d now who know they need to adapt and to develop their teams um what are heads of l d anxious about right now uh, COVID, <laughs> loaded yeah. question. Uh, and yeah. what do you advise they do uh, to address the causes of their anxiety? Well, I think, again, I mentioned that the kind of ongoing, you know, the data, the reports. I mean, mm. there, there's, a, there's a kind of industry in itself around this, isn't it? I was going to say around conference, conferences and, and podcasts, but here we are talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe that's not appropriate but yeah I think in terms of the challenges I mean these are pretty perennial um, so mm. you've mentioned it a couple of times already in our conversation you know creating learning culture definitely the one around learning in the flow of work mm -hmm. is, is a you know a reoccurring theme um, leadership development is a big one for sure and this whole area of digitization or digital transformation 
of learning, you know, there's three or four themes there that really are, you know, annual favourites, mm. I'd say, um, you know, slightly tongue-in-cheek. For me, though, it's back to the same thing. You know, if you look at those challenges, we don't have a culture where learning is seen as part of the work. Mm. We don't, we, we continue to think about digital transformation as a way of simplifying existing processes mm. but around it perhaps most things still continue as they were before we haven't got leaders doing the things we need to do to support people in a context as the way the business works today mm. because customers want different things from us all of that is again context and is yeah. about we still want to be in control mm. and we still need to deliver all the answers and we can solutionize this. And again, it's about process over creating the right environment and creating the conditions and giving up some of that control as a, as a central team or a central function. Mm. So again, one of the, the really interesting exercises that you know I'd often do, it's not the same, is I mentioned it before, let's get really clear on the areas in your organization whereby you feel like you found the answer and you found a way to support people to deliver against the things that they need to do in order for the organization to thrive where mm. have you codified it what is that based on is there any, is there any risk on that because maybe that's stuff you've done for years and years but might that be changing but as long mm. as we're clear on here are the things where we just need people to do it one way our way and that's fine but more importantly, where are the unanswered things? Where mm. are the risks? What's emerging? Where is it about adaptability? Where is it clear that what you're doing right now isn't working? What is it you're going to need more of? And again, we haven't got to list those and codify those, no. but where do we need to create some space? So quite simply, where's that productive learning stuff? Getting people to do it the very single-minded one way our way mm. versus the generative bit that says we need to create opportunities and new connections and ways of bringing people together that are going to solve this how much of our time and effort and energy and budget is going into the first bucket mm. versus into the second bucket and that can be a really revealing process because lo and behold everything to your point all of the money the time the effort the supplier partnerships the technology is about the centralized codified control compliance bit we spend very, very little time on thinking about what next mm. in enabling the new stuff. And even just to shift that balance by 5% over the next six or 12 months, and then to challenge yourself to say, well, what might the strategy be for that? What some of the new tactics you might employ? Because if you try and just continue to do this aligned to that goal, that's not going to fit, is it? Mm. You know, that classic one around, we just want people to take more responsibility for learning. But by the way, the only way you learn is via this login and password. <laughs> you know, seeing those two things as wholly incompatible yeah. as a tactic to a strategy can be really revealing yeah. and quite scary for, for some of these leaders. But I think just calling it out and naming it and being conscious and deliberate about, you know, sometimes this stuff is quite, um, it's not explicit. 
Mm. It's kind of, well, we've always done that. And these things roll over from year to year. It's just inferred. It's kind of what people expect from us. It's the stuff we do. People seem to like. We kind of measure attendance. So politically, that would be quite tough to rein it back. But getting back to that idea of what's the diagnosis? What are the principles you're going to follow? You're going to do more of this and less of this. We will do that, but we won't now do that. And then our actions and our tactics can follow. Just adopting that as a, a simple framework and a mantra can mm. be really revealing and really challenging, but quite um, energizing is my experience too. Yeah. You know, just being able to say a part of our job is about standardized workers in one way because it's safe and trusted and it works. But no, 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 increasingly much more of our role and rightly is about creating the environment where people are working together more like this mm. and creating these sorts of connections people are coming together in these ways people are able to look outside because this is increasingly important just starting to readdress that balance as a leadership role seeing our workers leading not just managing is you know that can be a really energizing realization and a, you know a great resolution to make Great, and I think that's a uh, a really good point in which to uh, to to wrap things up. A really a really positive call to action. Uh, but Paul, if people wish to follow your work or connect with you, how can they do so? Uh, yeah, I'd say three ways. So my website, uh, JocelynConsultingLimited.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Twitter uh, at Paul Jocelyn, and over on LinkedIn too. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Uh, thanks very much for, uh, for your, your time and, uh, and your, your expertise uh, here, Paul. And thank you very much for being a guest on the Great. Learning and Development Podcast. Great stuff. Thanks to you. Having a strong operational career prior to joining the L&D community has helped Paul to focus on what's important and also see what's amiss when so many of us may accept practices and approaches because they're pillars of the L&D lexicon. But L&D is changing because so much else is changing, not least expectations. This has been a timely conversation as many of us consider what next for ourselves at the beginning of this year. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.